0: This is Ethan, and I'm here with Dave, and together we are Dave and Ethan's Two Thousand Inch Weird Al Podcast, Episode Thirty Six Inch. On this
1: episode, we interview Weird Al's former publicist Cheryl Northrop. It's Dave and
2: Ethan's Two Thousand Inch Weird Al Podcast. It's
1: a podcast about Weird Al.
2: It's
1: Dave and Ethan's Two Thousand Inch Weird Al
2: Podcast. Seriously, the whole podcast is about Weird Al. It's Dave and
1: you
2: don't have
0: to listen, but we're glad you are. Dave, and Ethan's Weird Al Podcast. Dave, we finally made it to episode one yard. That's right, Ethan. We made it to episode three feet. Yes, of course. Dave, did you see the big Al news yesterday? He announced on Twitter and he sent out an e blast. He is looking for people to be in a magazine photo shoot with him.
1: Yes, he's looking for 350 fans, all to be dressed up in his classic retro Weird Al look. And they're going to appear with him in a photograph for a national magazine. That photo shoot is going to take place in Los Angeles on January 18th. And if you go to his Twitter, if you go to that e-blast, there is a link to sign up. I imagine it is going to go pretty quickly. So if you are interested in that, head on over there, sign up before 350 slots get full.
0: How cool. I so wish that I lived closer to LA so I could go be part of this. I might move to LA just so I can be part of this. You better do it quick. It's coming up. And from what I've heard, they will be confirming people next week. You got to get everything submitted now in time and see if you get confirmed and Dave, this is open to all ages, all genders, but there is one requirement you must dress as Retro Al. A wig, a mustache, glasses, and Hawaiian shirt. The four musketeers of being Classic <laughs> Al. <laughs> but they
1: do give you the option to bring an accordion. That it is can true. be a toy accordion. It can be a real accordion. But it's not required to bring an accordion. But if you have one, you might as well bring one, right? I mean, you're going to be hanging out with 350 Weird Alphins, all in wigs, mustaches, glasses, and Hawaiian shirts. I mean, it's almost like if you have an accordion, you
0: should bring it. Totally. Dave, do you think that Paul Rudd will be there? (laughs) I hope so. That would be awesome.
1: (laughs) I was wondering does Al have to actually dress up as himself as retro weird Al?
0: <laughs> Do you think he has an accordion to bring? <laughs> or a Hawaiian shirt?
1: <laughs> I'm wondering if he's going to have to like get a fake mustache and
0: glasses. That's true. That's true. Last time I saw Al, he did have a mustache. So, you know, he does have about a week and a half. He could grow a mustache in that time, depending on how hard he pushes. And, you know, <laughs> I'm also wondering, though, because when we were talking to Sean James last week, he talked about the different generations of Weird Al hair. So would, would he wear a wig of his old hair or would he just have Sean do his hair to look like old Al? Or is he supposed to not look like old Al? It's so confusing
1: what this is about. (laughs) Obviously, it's a you know, there's very little information about what this is going to be. It's kind of like even it says in the application, like, you are sworn to secrecy if you come to this photo shoot. So it seems like it's a lot of effort for just like a
0: magazine article. Do you think there's going to be some kind of big announcement that goes along with it? It's got to be a big announcement. Who knows? I mean – The only magazine that we know Al reads is Mad Magazine, and they are no longer in print. So I don't know what else it could be. And he already was on the cover of Mad Magazine. So, I mean, I don't think you're going to do that again. (laughs) They're going to (laughs) bring Mad Magazine back from the dead. It's not going to be animated anymore. It's just going to be pictures (laughs) of people dressed as Weird Al. I would subscribe.
1: (laughs) Maybe they want to take a picture of 350 Weird Al fans along with Weird Al, and then they're going to draw... A picture of it for
0: the cover. <laughs> yeah that's probably it <laughs> you know what I was really thinking in all seriousness I wonder if this is going to be Al's big Rolling Stone cover how cool would that be
1: that would be pretty cool
0: that's up there you know in the echelons of music hierarchy you know you get the Hollywood star you get into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame and you get a Rolling Stone cover I mean that's just one more thing that Al has yet to get that more than deserves
1: do you think al invited his other celebrity friends to come to this as well
0: i hope so that would be so cool you know you get to see jamie lee curtis and you get to see tom lennon and dr demento and i I think it'd be so cool to to see all of them mixed in with just all sorts of fans and our friends and i think it'd be so cool
1: What's interesting is you mentioned Dr. Demento, and of course that reminded me that Dr. Demento has a beard. Both you and I have beards as well. Do you think they'd make us shave our beards if we actually went to this?
0: You know, I was thinking about that, but I don't know. Okay, so say we were able to go, and they told you you did have to shave your beard. Would you shave it to be in this photo shoot?
1: I would have to be on the cover of Rolling Stone to (laughs) shave my beard.
0: I mean, you did shave your mustache in Abbotsford. <laughs>
1: <laughs> my mustache takes about two weeks to grow back. My beard would take about three or four years right. to grow back at this point.
0: <laughs> yeah, I don't know if I would trim my beard either. We could just do like a Caesar Romero thing from Batman and just like paint <laughs> our beard. <laughs> It doesn't say
1: anywhere in the application that you have to be clean shaven other than a mustache.
0: It says you could wear a fake mustache. So we could just put fake mustaches on ourselves over our mustaches and beards.
1: Right. It also says you can come if you actually do have a real mustache as well.
0: Well, technically we do. Maybe we just hold the accordion up high enough to block our beard. (laughs)
1: how many people do you think are going to bring their squeeze box accordion
0: oh that's a good point i bet a lot of people will probably a lot better than bringing a a full-size accordion because you're there for seven hours
1: (laughs) (laughs) well i know that they have an nda and non-disclosure agreement but if any of our listeners are planning to attend whatever you can tell us please Share that information with us. We are dying to find out what happens at this photo shoot.
0: It is going to be awesome. Cannot wait to hear. If you're ready to break your non-disclosure agreement, you can always give us a call. 347-SPATULA. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder if people bring spatulas, too.
1: <laughs> Just to add it in. What if they bring an accordion made out of spatulas?
0: I would give them bonus points for that. For
1: creativity. <laughs> As we reported on last week's episode, on New Year's Eve, Alice Cooper put on his annual charity concert at the Walea Beach Resort on the island of Maui, and as Al does every single year, he participated again.
0: That is so cool. I wish I could have been there. I wish I had a $2,000 ticket in Hawaii. I
1: wish I could just be in Hawaii on New Year's Eve. (laughs) I mean, Al and Alice Cooper, that's a bonus. But, you know, to be in Hawaii at any time of the year, it doesn't even have to be New Year's Eve.
0: (laughs) Well, plus all the other people. I mean, you know, there's only one I really, truly care about, and that's, of course, Al. But, I mean, there is a good list. You know, Willie Nelson's there. There's a lot of good people. It sounds like a really fun event.
1: Well, thanks to our friend and listener, mike minick he sent us links to all the youtube videos for all the songs that we know about that al performed
0: and he didn't just like send them after they were like posted around like there were literally 15 views on it when he sent it to me (laughs) (laughs) so he found them super early and those are really cool to check out it's always fun seeing al performing non weird al songs It's always interesting.
1: Literally a couple hours after the event ended, Mike had been texting me, here are the videos. I found them (laughs) on YouTube.
0: (laughs) I just picture him sitting there clicking refresh.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I wouldn't put it past Mike to do that. So if you go to YouTube and you search for, you know, New Year's Eve, Alice Cooper, there are five videos in total. The first one, Al is kinda of doing an introduction, and it's actually a kind of funny video to look at because, you know, he, this is paraphrasing, but he basically says when he's normally on stage, he takes popular songs by other artists and he changes the words for a comedic effect. And then tonight, though, what I'm going to do is I'm going to do popular songs by other artists, but I'm not going to change the words. What do you guys think? And everyone's like, "No, boo, <laughs> boo, boo! That's not what we came here for." <laughs> it was pretty funny. That's but amazing. again, he did actually do cover songs, and he did full versions of these songs: eight six seven five three zero nine, Jenny. He also did a version of American Band, and he did a version of Refugee.
0: So awesome! I wish I could have been there, Dave. Next year. Next year. Watch, we go out next year and he takes a year off. <laughs> <laughs> he comes to New York and New Jersey and does something here while we're in Hawaii. That's right. <laughs>
1: Alice Cooper moves the concert to somewhere exactly in the middle of our two houses. <laughs> <laughs> and there was one more song that Al did, and that was for Alice Cooper's encore. So the stage was packed with just everybody who was there that evening. And they all came out, they all did the Beatles song come together. It was so nice to see Alice, Al, Willie Nelson, all the artists who performed that night come together for such a great cause. Wouldn't the world be a better place if everyone could just put their differences aside for one night and come together? Maybe one day, everyone will sit down together in unison, in harmony, and in agreement with each other and share in a delicious meal of vegan Mexican food together.
0: This week's episode brought to you in part by vegan Mexican restaurant Burrito Burrito in Troy, New York, home of the two-pound double-wrapped-in-a-quesadilla Burrito Burrito. Come on down to Burrito Burrito and Burrito Burrito your Burrito Burrito. Find them at burritosquared.com and at burritosquared on Instagram. And remember, not every burrito is a burrito burrito burrito, but every burrito 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 can be burrito Burritoed. And Dave, they are going to be making vegan burritos, and vegan Twinkie Wiener sandwiches at our special event on January 25th.
1: You mean the special event with Jonah Ray where we get to interview Jonah Ray for the podcast and see UHF
0: on a giant 2,000-inch screen? Yes, at Proctor's in Schenectady, and tickets are available at uhf.2000inch.com.
1: I think we should all come together and see that together. (laughs)
0: We'll come together, we'll sit down in unison, and enjoy vegan Twinkie Wiener sandwiches. (laughs)
1: While we're on the subject of photo shoots and publicity, what a great coincidence, because today's guest was Al's publicist for 10
0: years, Cheryl Northrup. Dave and I are so excited to welcome to the program, she is Weird Al's former publicist, Cheryl Northrup. How's it going, Cheryl?
3: It's going great, guys. Thanks for having me. I'm so happy to be here and chat about one of my favorite artists and favorite clients of my entire career, Weird Al <laughs> Yankovic.
0: <laughs> we we're so excited to talk to you. You know, you came recommended by someone very important. John Bermuda Schwartz said, you guys have to talk to Cheryl Northrup. And, and I'm so excited that we finally made it happen.
3: I'm I'm thrilled to death to be here. John's a great guy. I keep in touch with him, try to see him, you know, at least once every couple of years. But we had a nice chit chat this morning because John is such a fount of Weird Al knowledge that as I was (laughs) thinking about my time working with Al, I I had to remember some things because I worked with him for 10 years, but it's been a very long time. I stopped. I kind of wound up working uh, finished my tenure working with Alan like late 2003, 2004. So it's been okay. a really long time. And so I had to give John a call and say, okay, wait, I'm remembering this. Is that how it really happened? <laughs> uh, and he's, he's the walking Weird Al Encyclopedia. So oh, yeah. we we love John. Yeah, <laughs> oh, as sure. do we.
1: <laughs> so can you just kind of give us a background of what a publicist is and when you were working specifically with Al? What kind of responsibilities you had?
3: Sure. You know, I uh, first let me say the the publicist um, is a really interesting position because we represent the artist, but we also represent the record label, um, I was the publicist hired by the record label, which was Scotty Brothers at that time. And yeah. I worked with Al basically from, I, I, I quantify my time with him as Alapalooza through Poodle Hat. <laughs> and I I would have to look up the years, but somewhere around 93 to 2003, 2004. And I had come in as the label publicist. And basically the publicist Manages the media, and we're the interface between the artist and the media. So if you're seeing Al on late night TV, early morning TV, reading about him in the newspaper, hearing him on the radio, that would be the publicist who would not only coordinate those interviews and appearances, but I often traveled with Al to do those kinds of of uh, media appearances. Oh, cool. So, you know, I spent a lot of bleary-eyed hours of the early, early morning with Al, taking him to local L.A. morning news shows. I'd pick him up at his house in the Hollywood Hills, 3, 4 in the morning. Oh, no. <laughs> oh
2: wow. Yeah, because you'd have
3: a call time that was maybe, you know, 5, 5.30, because the early morning shows would start at seven um, or earlier if they were the local shows. And so we'd have to get Al in. They would do a little bit of makeup. We'd have to get him there early. And he was always just an incredible pleasure. Like, I think I remember telling him once, Al, if I have to pick up someone at this ungodly hour of the morning, I'm so glad it's you. Because, (laughs) you know, he was just, he's, he's so sweet and he's so not high maintenance in in that regard so we would just have a nice chat we'd both be you know pretty tired so it wasn't like I I I never felt like I had to be on or entertain him or whatever (laughs) and we'd have interesting conversations he'd go he'd do his thing he'd go back home and probably go back to bed <laughs> I had to go to work all day. Oh, man. And then we would, we would do more like in the evening hours, we would do, um, you know, some, a lot of talk radio that would go sometimes until 12 one in the morning. Jeez. And I, wow. yeah, so I was putting in the hours with Al, but I, at one point went to my boss and I said, if you don't get me some help on this, I'm quitting because <laughs> my, I would come in in the morning. This was, this was really kind of before email was the way we communicated. I'd come into my office in the morning. I'd literally have 17 messages or 27 messages on my voicemail. <laughs> ah, ah, thank you. By the time I got through listening to those and taking down the notes, I had 10 more messages, oh especially when Al was on tour and you know, setting up all the 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 tour press and and by tour press I mean when he would go out on tour we would advance all of the dates that he would do so wherever he was traveling in the United States my job was to make sure that that city was well covered that they knew Al was coming they knew tickets were on sale they knew what venue he was playing at and you know Al would do interviews Uh, You know, a lot of times, sometimes we would have a record review done, but this would be in every single market that he toured in. And we would look at talk radio, morning television, afternoon TV. We'd invite photographers and television stations to come and, you know, cover some of the set that he would do so that we could get coverage, you know, after he would perform. And then, of course, newspapers. So it was a huge job. But one that I absolutely loved. Al, hands down, was one of my favorite <laughs> artists to work with. And I have a career that's 30 years. So, you know, and, and he, and I'm not just saying that because I'm talking to you, I, I genuinely mean that.
0: That's amazing. And completely expected by Dave and I because we know how amazing of a person Al is. And it <laughs> would only make sense that he'd be your favorite client.
3: <laughs> oh he's amazing and, it, and it's just it's hilarious because sometimes people wouldn't really wouldn't know Al except from the outside and sometimes they would be like do I call him weird? And, and I'm like, no, that's his name is Al. Call him Al. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, that some it would that would kind of be funny sometimes that people would think that he goes by Weird and right. and you know him and I know him and he really he really isn't weird at all.
2: So that's what's weird know, is that he's not. <laughs> that that's what's weird.
0: Now, as you're talking about all these newspaper interviews and in radio and TV. The, the collector in me is wondering Do you have copies of these interviews? Was there a record kept of, of that sort of thing, or are those just kind of lost to time?
2: Oh,
3: I think they're more or less lost to time. Uh, this was really be- some of it was, you know, we had computers, but it was before the everything digital age. And, right. you know, some of these talk shows don't even exist anymore. I mean, they, you know, I'm based in LA, Al's based in L.A., so we would do all the, you know, the L.A. talk radio, KABC, uh, KFI, then there would be some late night ones. I don't even remember all the radio shows that we did. <laughs> right. uh, a lot of it, you know, because some of it just becomes a blur after a while. You're just so busy Setting up all these interviews because people want to talk to him, and you're out there promoting a record, you're po- promoting the artist, you're promoting their career, you're promoting their tour, and it's just kind of a, you know, a, a never-ending loop of weird owl, you know, eating, breathing, sleeping, dreaming about Al and I think during it, it must have been during bad hair day because that was his biggest selling album to date at the time that I worked with him he probably did between three and four hundred interviews oh, in in that cycle wow and he never missed one so you think about artists today and you hear stories <laughs> about how particular they are and how high maintenance they are Al. Was next to James Brown the hardest working man in show business, and I really, as a publicist, I really appreciated that because it's our job to generate that interest. But then he's at the end of the day, he's the one that has to sit there phone call after phone call after phone call talking about himself, right? And that's not an easy thing to do.
0: So, how was he during these interviews?
3: Al was amazing, Al. Al had a few really good sound bites, Uh, I have to admit, not every single interview was completely original, but that's (laughs) because I sat in on on many of them, but to the person who was talking to him, it was completely original, and he was always lovely and chatty, and he never held back, and he, you know, he could be funny and spontaneous, and... You know, I I think that Al was one of the masters of giving good interview, which is a real which is an art and it's really important. So I think, you know, he he did a he did a fantastic job and I never had anyone say, wow, that was really kind of a bust (laughs) of a chat. Right.
0: (laughs) So I asked about, you know, the archive of news and it sounds like that's probably not existing. But what about, you know, is there any memorabilia or anything that you've kept through the years?
3: Well, as a matter of fact, funny you should ask that, I'm sitting at my desk in front of my computer and I have a few (laughs) shelves um, above my desk. And on the top shelf, taking up, well, about a quarter of my wall space is (laughs) a giant poster, um, hardback poster from Poodle Hat from our in-store that we did at the Virgin Megastore on Sunset. Uh, was it Sunset Boulevard? Yeah, it must. It was Sunset Boulevard in like the West Hollywood area. So right there, at, I don't know if you guys know LA, but kind of Crescent Heights, Laurel Canyon, Sunset. They had a big Virgin Mega Store there, and we did the in-store for Poodle Hat, and I got one of the giant window posters. That <laughs> oh, so, is Alan, so cool. <laughs> Al and Bella. You know who Bella is? Of course, the
0: poodle. Okay, uh, good. on his head, the hat.
3: Bella the the poodle on his head. And so he and Bella and a few other fun people, his wife, Suzanne, uh, John's wife, Leslie, uh, his old roommate from college, someone's son who was the Boy Scout. And, uh, you know, so, so they watch me all day long while I'm working.
0: That's hilarious. I love That's that. That's great.
3: <laughs> and then, of course, I, you know, the, the records that went gold or platinum, I, I have those. Uh, they were proudly displayed in my other office, but I didn't have room in this current office. So they're they're <laughs> gently packed away somewhere.
0: Well, he just has so many gold and, and platinums now that, you know, I wouldn't imagine that you'd have <laughs> enough wall space.
3: <laughs> no, no, no. Well, I worked on four studio records. So Alapalooza... Bad Hair Day, Running With Scissors, and Poodle Hat. So I have those.
0: That's so cool.
2: That's great.
3: (laughs) Yeah, I'm figuring if if I ever need money someday, I can just put them on, you know, take them over to Pawn Stars or something and say, (laughs) how much for this?
0: You have my number and Dave's number. Uh, (laughs) Just putting that out there. Think of us first,
2: please.
3: You know, John, and I have to go looking for this. I know I have it somewhere, but John gave me... A tape of something. It might have been. Well, I know he gave me. I think it's a Japanese version of Alapalooza, so I have that CD somewhere. That's cool. And then he some something else. I have a couple of other really kind of nifty, very deep Weird Al <laughs> fan kind of things. <laughs> and it's shameful. I don't even know where they are right now, but I know I have them. They're just probably packed in a box somewhere. And then I, <laughs> I did have a, a big box of, you know, kind of file stuff, you know, the press, uh, press releases and bios oh, and cool. press kits that I had done and pictures. And a few years ago, maybe about seven years ago, we were moving and it was, and I, I gave him all that. I gave it all to Al because I know he likes to collect, you know, he likes to keep the archive. Maybe on second thought, I probably should have given it all to Bermuda because he he would have (laughs) kept it there. But I visited Al one afternoon and I, I actually donated all of my Al kind of interesting file stuff to, I I gave it to him because I couldn't keep it. I didn't have anywhere to put it. And you know, I didn't want to throw it away because Al's not, Al's not a throwaway.
0: Right. Oh, no. <laughs> I would imagine that it went to Bermuda. <laughs> Eventually.
3: <laughs> Eventually
2: it probably found its way to John. Yeah.
0: <laughs> He's the, uh, the master archivist, and I'm sure he has it filed and, and tagged and is keeping it very safe.
3: <laughs> yes, as he should.
0: Now, you've brought up Alapalooza,
3: your very
1: first album working with Al so what was that kind of like i mean you had a single in that one which was from an older song and you had an animated music video was there any kind of hurdles you had to jump over to get that out there
3: um no i i think that you know first of all the the claymation video was absolutely spectacular i mean there were so many aside from jurassic park being the biggest thing in pop culture at that time You had all these other cultural references from Barney to the Energizer Bunny (laughs) to, you know, just, you know, I I can't even think of all the things off the top of my head. But, you know, when when the dinosaur in that in that video eats the lawyer, I mean, how many people were just (laughs) cheering at that? And then, of course, and then he. He spits up Barney's head. And right. I just remember the first time, you know, we at the record label would always stand around the, in the boss's, the president's office watching the video on TV as soon as we would get the the final cut.
2: Yeah. And we
3: all just burst out laughing when, <laughs> when Barney's head got spit up. That was, that was amazing. Um, you know, Alapalooza was my first real foray into the weird owl machine and we did some really fun interesting things for that so one of the things for Alapalooza that we did to launch it was we we coordinated and, th- and this was kind of the stuff that publicists do right so we we set up a press conference and the press conference how about doing it at the dinosaur hall in la's Natural History Museum.
2: <laughs> oh, so wow. I, cool. remember,
3: I remember coordinating with whoever their PR person was or one of their operations people, and we put the, the claymation figures, had their own display, maybe a couple of displays, and we did that in the dinosaur hall. And then we invited media to come, and we invited local school kids to come. And that morning... I I think you guys will have to go back in the time machine a ways, but this was (laughs) a time after the big riots that we had in L.A. There were the the police officers who were caught on video with Rodney King. Their court case had come up, and then something awful happened like when their verdict was read because they were found not guilty. And so that morning, during the riots, there was a truck driver named Reginald Denny and this was video that was shown all over the country the rioters pulling this poor man out of his truck and beating him in the middle of the street well the verdict for those charges came in that morning oh and yeah and this was my first opportunity to really you know impress my new employer right. cuz i was you know maybe had been at the record label less than a year the owner of the record label like the big boss mr (laughs) scotty was was there and i had media every media outlet didn't show up because they were all covering you know the news of the verdict being read sure and we had all these school kids and you know it almost didn't happen it was just it was it was so awful but it, it went off. It, we we pulled some strings. I, I had the kids. They were just going to walk from their local schools, but they didn't even want to let the kids walk a couple blocks because they were concerned for their safety. So we put them on a school bus. And this was all before cell phones and email. And I'm making decisions from my home office, going <laughs> get a school bus. I don't care how much <laughs> it costs. Just
2: put them on there. Wow.
3: And you know the the kids. There there had been some concern not saying who but there had been some concern that you know kids from the inner city of los angeles weren't really going to get al and nothing could have been farther from the truth kids are kids Al's humor so transcends all kinds of socioeconomic um barriers or or lines and these kids asked amazing questions we had Al was there, and and then the guys who directed the video were there. And it was just, I just remember it, like it could have been this complete disaster, and it turned into this spectacular, wonderful event. And we, we still have pictures, I mean, we took pictures of it, and I remember this is going to be something a little bit more, you know, that other publicists will appreciate, but The Hollywood Reporter is, the trade publication that really kind of serves all the different entities in Hollywood. It's more film and TV focused than music, or at least it was back then. And they never ran pictures with stories. But I sent a picture of Al and the owner of the record label, (laughs) the video directors, and then all these little claymation figures in the picture that they ran. That's so cool. it was, <laughs> it, it was one of those things where, you know, you might be able to dig back in the Hollywood Reporter ar- archives, it would have been within, you know, a few weeks within the month of the record release, maybe even a couple weeks of the record release, if you wanted to see if they had that archive somewhere. But yeah, and it was it was a pretty big deal. It was it was a it was a real notch in my belt, I have to say.
0: <laughs> that is so cool. You know, when, when I think Alpalooza, the, the first thing I think of is the cover art and how it went from the red background to the yellow background. Were you involved at all in that decision or, or that controversy?
3: Um, no, that would have been our the art director, Doug Haverty, and he and Al would work on the creative together. So I wasn't involved in any of those kinds of creative decisions. I was maybe more inclined to be consulted on what images I thought would work for publicity purposes. Right. Okay. And yeah, but album art and all of that, that was usually always between Al and the fantastic art director, Doug.
1: There's a black and white picture of Al inside of the Alapuzo liner notes. Were you involved with that picture at all?
3: Well, I didn't know. I mean, I might have said the photo shoots would already have been done because they would do the photo shoots for publicity photos a lot of times while they were doing album art images. And then we would use we'd go through and we'd pick out the photos that we wanted to use for publicity purposes. So and then, of course, we'd always have photos from video shoots. We'd have photographers on set. We'd always make sure that we got uh, photographs that we could use that depicted that particular whatever video it was we were shooting
1: so your next big adventure with al i believe was probably permanent record Al in the box
3: so permanent record that that's interesting that you should bring that up because permanent record was a compilation and those types of things got handled a little bit differently from a publicity perspective than a studio album would because mostly except in permanent records case where they had headline news included, all the material would have already been released. So we would do the, the the press surrounding compilation albums would be considerably more uh, subdued. We didn't want to waste valuable press time to Al's time and, you know, press interest talking to him about a record that was a compilation and really kind of done for the fans. And, you know, one that he wasn't necessarily going to, to tour behind. Mm, Uh, What made permanent records so interesting was the little booklet that went with it because it had all this great uh, history in there. And then headline news, if you want to talk about that for a second, I actually have some great stories from headline news. So that that year of news was just these were three of the most absurd <laughs> stories. And of course, Al would have to do something to mark. I mean, look, what happened to Nancy Kerrigan was terrible. But the other two things were just so bizarre. And it really <laughs> dominated the news cycle for such a long time that it it only could have fallen into Al's hands. So (laughs) anyway, my, my fun story from headline news is I got to be in that video. Really? And yes, yes. And if you if you blink, you miss me. But basically, it's <laughs> it's in the ice skating segment or um, the the fight segment between Tanya and Nancy, where they're rolling around on the ice, and then there's four <laughs> judges that hold up their cards with the score. Yep. And I'm I am one of the four judges. Wow. That was, uh <laughs> From if you're looking at the video from left to right, it's Doug, who was the art director, myself. Um, a gentleman named Tad Dowd, who was a longtime <laughs> fixture at the record label. You guys probably know who Tad is. Of course. Um, yeah. And then next to him was Chuck Gallow, the my boss and the president of the label. So Al <laughs> is such a great director that my my funny incident from from that video was he he busted me like two times because i wasn't quite fast enough holding the card up and i i wasn't in time (laughs) with the other three so You know he's he's so exacting, and he would count us down, and then we'd have to lift it up real fast. And if you go back to the video, you see it's literally I'm I'm on there for less than a a second, and I I think it was like two or three tries. Finally, I got it right. He's like, okay, good cut, we got it. Get her out of here.
2: (laughs) That's so awesome.
3: But now of course I can look back at it and you know, I, I have a I have a, a daughter and she first met Al when she was eight and you know, that was like huge. My mom was in a weird outfit. Right.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm impressed just talking to you knowing you're in a weird outfit, video. That's so cool.
2: <laughs> Aww.
3: Well that's really sweet. So when we get when we get back around we can we can talk about some of the later things, but I wanna tell you another fun story about my daughter, but we can talk about it later in the Okay. In the broadcast, in the podcast.
0: <laughs> so after permanent record, do I have this right, Dave? Greatest Hits Volume Two and the TV album came out. Yes.
3: Yes. And that wasn't that. That was the sing basically the single disc version of of permanent record. Yeah, fun, right. Yeah, I don't know if I really have anything to contribute to that because it was it would have been all part of the uh, the permanent record right. uh, push. But again, we didn't we didn't expend a lot of publicity time working the compilations. We, we spent our publicity nuggets on the, the studio
0: records. Well, after that, then we get to the big one, Bad Hair Day.
3: Bad Hair Day. That was fun. That was one of my just one of my best memories was working with Al during that campaign. So I'm sure you guys have lots of fun questions about that one. I'm, I'm ready. Hit me.
1: (laughs) I think we got to start with the big question, the whole Coolio incident. What was the real story with the Coolio incident?
3: The whole story is I I know Al on record and, and this is the story I'm sticking with is (laughs) the record label Coolio originally he didn't necessarily give permission and I'm trying to remember this. So if I, if I get something wrong, please, please listeners, don't send me hate mail. Um, It's been (laughs) a long time, but Al was under the impression that the record label, because two to at least one or two of our executives, I wasn't involved in that. I did not tell him that Coolio approved this, but somebody else at the record label had told him, yes, it's all approved. There's not a problem. Um, I think if you really, if you kind of look at it on, on levels, there's also when you're working with, um, hip hop songs, a lot of them are, are, you know, they're based on samples. So some of the samples, you know, Coolio doesn't necessarily have all of the credits, but the, the writing credits, but even so Al would, would not typically, or never really go against an artist's wishes if an artist and technically he could have It's right. It's considered fair use. Right. And, um, and if, but if an artist said, no, I, I don't give you permission, I don't want you to do this. He, he wouldn't because Al is gracious. And what's the point in doing it? If the artist isn't going to be supportive. So Al was told that Coolio, and I think every we may have all been under the impression that Coolio had given his permission. So they went ahead, they recorded the, the, the record And then, you know, this is where I was talking to John. I I actually had to talk to John this morning so I could remember what the the time frame was. January 3rd, 96. They were in the studio. The label told out. All was fine. Everything was good to go. They finished it. Um, They recorded it on January 15th of 96. On January 29th, the AMAs in, in, in award season, the Grammys are always the last awards show in award season for music. So on January 29th of 96, we had the American Music Awards and Al's was slated to present the best alternative album with Coolio. And if you recall, because I'm sure you've seen the clip of this, Al came out in his Coolio hair. He was all yes. into, you know, dressed like he was on the record label. And I, I was there with Al, and nobody saw him. We were, we basically were in hiding until that moment because we didn't want to ruin the surprise. So I'll tell you a fun story about you know being in hiding, or in the green room, or or somewhere kind of tucked away in a corner, just being inconspicuous. And Eddie Van Halen comes up, introduces himself to Al, as if we didn't know who Eddie Van Halen was, (laughs) and tells him he's a huge Weird Al fan. And, of course, we're all huge Eddie Van Halen fans, and it was just kind of a mutual (laughs) Eddie Van Halen, Weird Al Yankovic love fest. And, you know, it it was really just a great moment. And a little while later is when Al went out on stage. Coolio was completely caught unaware. So that him looking surprised in the clip of that <laughs> is genuine. He, you could tell he, he didn't know what to say. <laughs> <laughs> and it was brilliant. And then, uh, Pearl Jam won for best alternative album. And, uh, and that was that. So he, he still had, Coolio still had not heard anything at that point. And, uh, Next the following month, February on February 28th, he won a Grammy. I don't I'm not sure what it was for. And then and then he did this interview backstage, and that's where he went into his whole long diatribe about, you know, he didn't approve, but he hadn't heard heard it, and he, you know, he he didn't want his, you know, weird Al touching it. And then I think um I, I think at some point he realized. What a great homage this was to him and his work. And I I think he later apologized and, you know, said he was sorry for the whole brouhaha. But, of course, we didn't care. That kind of stuff helped drive our campaign. I mean, (laughs) complain, please. Keep complaining. This is is great for the PR. You know, and and Al was genuinely, Al's a very genuine person, and I think he was genuinely very upset that somehow the wires had gotten crossed and the label said that everything was good to go when perhaps it wasn't good to go. I don't know. I'm not privy to all the details behind that, but I I know Al would have been, you know, very sad. It's, It's not in his nature to offend people. So, but, but it turned out to be great. And then, and then of course, bad hair day debuted. I want to say, you guys can check me on this. I, I want to say it debuted at number 17, which was his, maybe his highest debut to date, or it charted it at 17, but it was his yeah. highest charting album at that point.
1: The peak position was number 14. I'm not sure. 14.
3: What, what okay. So I knew, I knew it was somewhere in the, in the top 20 and, and that was great. And we had, we had an amazing run with, with that record. And that's, you know, like I said, I think he did three out of 400 interviews that year. And it was, it was really spectacular. I, I that's a, a great time in my life. And I, I was talk when I was talking to John this morning, I was like, wow, thank you for walking me down this memory lane. Cause it, it was really fun.
1: Yeah, and then bad Air day went on to be double platinum.
3: It did just recently yeah. <laughs> <laughs> in fact, um in fact i I sent Alan an email just saying, i you know congratulations, and it it's so awesome to have been just a small part of that, but. Uh, this at least has to equal a very good hair day in, in my book. So. Oh,
0: that's great.
3: Yeah, I'm a woman. So it's like, you know, we we women, it's, it's, if there's a hair out of place, it's going to be a bad day. So.
0: <laughs> so were there any other, you know, big moments in the promotion of Bad Hair Day?
3: No, not that I can remember off the top of my head. I, I think, you know, once you have the whole, you know, the scoop on Coolio, it, um, you know, I, so I'm, I'm trying to think the video for Amish Paradise, because of course, Florence Henderson, mom, Brady was in that video. And that was, that was probably even more than meeting Eddie Van Halen. <laughs> <laughs> that was an amazing moment for me because like a lot of us, I grew up watching the Brady Bunch every Friday night and Mrs. Brady was like everybody's mom. So getting to meet Florence Henderson <laughs> yep. was completely amazing. Um, the video, I don't, I don't know um, where you guys are based, but the video was actually shot not too far from where I live right now in a really cool, very pretty, very um, rural area, not far from Los Angeles, this is maybe 20 miles from L.A., called Hidden Valley. Hmm. And it's basically Hmm. a very, um, a very wealthy community. I mean, how, um, I think Tom Selleck lives in there. Jamie, uh, Jamie Fox lives in there. There's all these big mansions and huge horse properties. So they had, they had found this great location and it had rained a lot. It was they, they probably shot the video sometime in January or February. So instead of it looking like it does most of the time, and it's kind of brown, and the brush is dry, and the fields look like hay, <laughs> it, it was just a perfect representation of what Lancaster, Pennsylvania might have looked like. It was very green, and the day was really cold and crisp, and the sky was blue, the clouds were white and puffy, and I got to meet. <laughs> Mrs. Brady right. and and I, I still, <laughs> I I still drive by there, um, um, you know, pretty regularly, and and there is hardly a time that I drive down that road where I don't think, oh, we did Amish Paradise yeah. there.
0: And, oh. <laughs> that's so cool.
3: Yeah, there were some really neat um, elements that he did, and if and if you watch, you know, people who watch it now might not even get all of the pop cultural references in there. Everything from you know, Gilligan's Island. There were so many really great um, pop culture references. He he picked up some film techniques from that they used, you know, in the early days of filmmaking, like the barn falling on him. <laughs> right, that was right. an, actually a very old um, filmmaking, you know, from, I I, I want to say Buster Keaton. Um, I could be wrong, yeah. but I, I want to say that was a crib from a Buster Keaton film. And then the whole section where he where it was all being filmed backwards. So he actually learned the lyrics backwards so that he could <laughs> sing them backwards so that they would look like he was singing them frontwards while he was while everything else around him was moving backwards. And so
0: that um, scene is just unbelievable to me. <laughs> yeah.
3: Yeah, and and you really have to think about it. I mean, Al is such a visionary and he you know he really would imagine when he would write he would write his songs I I'm positive that he would already have them visualized in his head he would know exactly how he wanted to present them on video he's you know he really is just a master of that art and that's why he was asked by a lot of other artists who knew to um you know, that they had him direct their videos Mm -hmm. because he's, he's a genius. Absolutely. Without, without question.
0: Some of the other singles from the bad hair day era, of course, Gump, um, spy hard came out right around that time. And then I don't don't know how widespread it was, but the night Santa went crazy also had a single,
3: right? Well, Gump. So we did that video, um, right near in Los field, the Los Feliz part of Los Angeles. And there's, um, I think it was right along Los Feliz Boulevard and there's a big park there with a big fountain that they're all playing their instruments in. And then, you know, it's, it's it's right kind of at the bottom of the hill that you have to go up if you're going to attend shows at, at the Greek theater here in LA where Al has played many times. And that video was really fun because the, the old lady on the bench is of course, Ruth Buzzy, you know, doing yeah. her character from laughing that, I also grew up with, and uh, and then Pat Boone has that little cameo appearance eating all the the candies, and and that was a really fun one. And I I remember after, I must have sent Ruth Buzzy a, a copy of the video or something because I do the the one thing I remember after that video shoot was getting a really nice um, thank you card. From her, I'm like, oh my god, look at this! Ruth <laughs> sending me a thank you card. It was just, it was really sweet. And everybody always had a good time. Uh, you know, Al was very exacting on set and a very good director, and really guided everyone to get exactly what he wanted. But it was always a really fun time, and those those were some of my my best memories were, you know, kind of being on set and watching it happen and. Than being able to have these stories to share with you guys. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But then Spy Hard, because that was the the whole film thing. You know, I wasn't super in, involved in that except I I do remember we all went to a screening. I don't think it was the premiere, but I think it was a screening, and we just that opening was so spectacular. I mean, he did it in the the vocal style (laughs) of Bessie Smith, who had done the, you know, the singing for some of the spy movies. And then, you know, he of course had, um, I think he had had a cameo appearance in one of Leslie Nielsen's Naked Gun movies. And you know, it was a a total spoof on the whole spy genre. And I just thought that opening was absolutely brilliant. Quite possibly
2: (laughs) the best part of the film. Oh yeah.
1: Totally. Oh. <laughs> that was the only reason i went to go see spy hard was because now
2: <laughs> the, the opening credits you walked
1: the out after
0: four minutes and
2: <laughs> right well, I, I had to you stay for the, the ending
1: credits too
0: oh of course right
3: if you had walked out after the song i don't think you would have missed anything
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> so we need to now fast forward to running with scissors of course um this was this was right in the time where I was really starting to get into Al. I saw my first concert on the Running with Scissors tour. Lots of changes came with Running with Scissors.
3: Lots of changes, yes. Al Al got a new look, and uh, I I think it's I think it's really interesting because I remember having a conversation with Al's camp. Um, they were very concerned about how this was going to play out, you know, how was it going to work? You know, would people still, I mean, that was the, the glasses were his trademark and, you know, I spent quite a long time on the phone and from a PR perspective. And my feeling at that time was always, Al, is so good at what he does that I'm really, I, and I didn't know this because I hadn't talked to Al, but this was just my own conjecture at the time was that there's no need to worry. None of us need to worry. Al is so good (laughs) at what he does. I'm sure he already has it all planned out that this is his new look going forward. And of course he, his look changed. He grew his hair longer, which I thought was really cool. Kind of made him look a little bit hipper and cooler and edgier and, I think could identify more with the audience at at that time, you know, and he was really becoming, you know, especially after bad hair day, he, he was becoming so much more entrenched as a pop culture phenomenon and icon himself, because even at that point, you know, he had outlasted many of the careers of the artists that he had parodied. And one of the things that always frustrated me as, His PR person was how some of the kind of old guard of uh, especially newspaper critics didn't take him seriously. And we had a really hard time breaking through some of those barriers. and, and, And really, some of them I don't think really broke until mandatory fun. And, you know, I remember having conversations with Bob Hilburn, who was the chief music critic at the L.A. Times, when i worked with al and like he didn't want to be bothered and yet how could you not i mean al is just a genius and there's nobody else there has been nobody before or since well i shouldn't say since but even a contemporary of al's who can do what he does as good as he does it and you know i i really don't think there's any denying that al really has the corner on that market and that level of parody because his parodies just kept evolving and getting better and better and better and more detailed and more complex. And if you look at some of his, his later parodies, even something like word crimes, which I think has to be my personal favorite um, (laughs) because it's so, it's so deep and there's, I mean, you have to think about, I mean, first of all, Al's a great grammarian. So he, I, I'm, I'm positive that these are things that he deals with all the time. But <laughs> I just fell in love with that song when it came out. I couldn't stop playing it. I sent it to all my writer friends because, of course, PR people we deal with writers and journalists all the time. So I think it was something that they could really relate to a little bit better. But it just was the layers in that song are so brilliant. <laughs> I really have to give Al credit with knowing that he isn't defi- he was never defined. By his look um you know he could burn all his Hawaiian shirts and give away his vans and he would still (laughs) be weird out and he would still be hilariously funny and still have his finger just completely on the pulse of pop culture so we did have those discussions most assuredly but I personally I was never concerned and we didn't we didn't skip a beat it was like Al glasses? What glasses? He never wore glasses.
2: <laughs>
3: so you know, leave it to Al. He's 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 just really good at what he does. So it it really wasn't a problem going forward, and I don't think we ever really looked back.
0: I do find it interesting that when you know when someone dresses up like Al for for Halloween or cosplay, they tend to go for the glasses and the mustache still. But really, when you you look at his career, he's almost, you know, eclipsed the amount of time without that.
3: <laughs> yeah, but I think it's just it's it was such an iconic look. The, the, the glasses and the and the the, the 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 curly, super curly hair, I think, was so memorable and possibly a little bit easier to recreate. That's true. Than the current look. So I, I think that's probably why. People still tend toward that, and I'm sure you guys know that. Every year after Halloween, on his Twitter feed, he puts up the best Weird Al costumes <laughs> that people send him. Of course. So you know, look, Al is great because he can totally poke fun at himself, which I think is is beautiful.
1: Yeah, I look forward to that Twitter post from Al with the Halloween costumes every year. Yeah. I just love that so much <laughs> that there's so many people that dress up as Al for Halloween. And I also love that people still call it his new
0: look, and it is 20 years
3: since he's changed his (laughs) look. (laughs) Right, right.
0: Will Al ever have another new look?
3: (laughs) (laughs) Quite possibly. You know, I think that there's, you know, a a fine dividing line between people who've been Al fans across both looks. So if you can count (laughs) yourself as a fan during the glasses era. You're a long time Weird Al fan. (laughs) And you know, he did his, he did his LASIK surgery on television. Like they broadcast, I think it was our local channel five KTLA station here that, you know, this was kind of in the early days of LASIK. So he was, he was quite, um, quite a, 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 future, a visionary, uh, pun intended, <laughs> um, to sort of see where this, where this was going and good for him to show that, you know, it was, it was what it was. It wasn't a, a super invasive and it really, I, I think it meant a lot to him that he wasn't tied to his glasses anymore.
2: Right. So how did
1: that get started? Did the TV station approach him about the, going on TV to get the LASIK surgery or did he approach uh, the TV station?
3: I actually don't have an answer for that. Okay. I, I wasn't involved. I didn't call the station and say, Hey, Al's having laser surgery. You wanna come and report it? <laughs> <laughs> that was that fell outside of my purview. Yeah. Um, yeah.
1: So you weren't there for that particular appearance.
3: I wasn't I wasn't there for that particular <laughs> <Yeah>. appearance. <laughs>
0: So do we have anything else to cover on Running With Scissors? I'm curious if there are any stories around the Saga Begins or Albuquerque or anything like that.
3: Well, it's, it's really interesting. You know, I was, as I was kind of going back and looking at the discography so I could remind myself what were the singles, what were the originals, and I saw Albuquerque on there. I actually was surprised because in my head, Albuquerque was a much older song. So I, I found that kind of surprising. Um, and then oh God, you just made me think about this. One of the times I, I went to see Al and it was it right, maybe right after I wasn't working with him anymore. And he was playing a date at the L.A. County Fair and he was doing Albuquerque. And I probably shouldn't say this. Al, if you're listening, I'm sorry, but it's a great story. I have to share it. She <laughs> forgot the lyrics oh, to no. Albuquerque in the oh. middle of the song. And I mean, come on, it's it's like a, a an eleven minute song, so you know, give the guy a break. I mean right. and I and I think I think what happened was he, he may have started the song. I mean, my, my recollection is a bit fuzzy, but I think he started the song over, but of, of course the crowd was, you know, they were happy just to get another five minutes of Albuquerque. So, yeah.
2: <laughs> you know,
3: it, it all, it was all good. <laughs> we were talking about a uh, saga begins. And of course I think they filmed the parts of that out in the Mojave desert, but of course that was uh, the Don McLean song, American pie. And, you know, star Wars was just such a huge phenomenon at that time. You know, look, I, I think some people learned about the star star Wars story because of the story that Al told <laughs> in his song. Yeah, And, you know, I, I was on the video shoot for that. Um, you know, then the, the evening magazine shows, entertainment tonight, access Hollywood, all of those, they, they would always argue over who would get the exclusive because they were all competing with each other. And, (laughs) uh, you know, those, those were really, and, and, and it was great because those types of shows really embraced Al and, and, you know, it was great visuals for them and, and a lot of, you know, really, really fun time to be able to come and chat with him and be on the set and get all these cool little, little snippets. So, um, so that, that was pretty, that was a, that was a really fun time.
1: Yeah, I feel like the, around the time of Running With Scissors was when VH1 really embraced Al.
3: VH1, MTV had, had been on board with Al for quite some time. I mean, he had so many Al TV specials. And of course, you know, having having the, the video format, Al was perfect for MTV. I mean, we all we all kind of grew up in the MTV um, generation and, and Al, Al was a gift. MTV so you know I used to we always used to look forward to Al TV because he would do these great you know mixed up interviews where he would take an M, maybe an MTV interview and then um, in, in, instead of having the actual interviewer al would be asking the subject these ridiculous questions and <laughs> but with the real answers like like you see if you go to his his live shows so those those were always really fun to watch
0: so the last album you worked with Al on, was Poodle Hat?
3: Poodle Hat, absolutely. So that was that was a fun one, and I I do have a fun story from from Poodle Hat. Um, you know that was the one where Eminem had had given Al permission uh, to parody uh, "Lose Yourself," which was the Oscar winning song from Eight Mile. Right. And but he didn't want Al to do a video, and he didn't want it to be the single. So we were very limited, you know, in being able to promote that from a from a visual perspective. But one of the really fun things that we were able to pull off was uh, one morning I had been on the phone or communicating with Al, and I'm I'm trying to remember exactly how this went down. But I had been on the the phone or in communication with Al. I knew that he was leaving his house. And he probably had a cell phone at that time, but didn't really use it. Like he could call out on it, but it's not, it's not like today where we're all attached to our iPhones, our, or our Androids. And, you know, we, we, we were not looking up to see where we're going because our heads are buried in our devices. It wasn't really like that. And so one of the things that we had been trying to, to get for Al was some kind of good break in time magazine. And, I remember having lots of discussions with them over the years and got turned down a lot because, again, I don't think people really appreciated the genius of Al. Even even up at that point, even after Bad Hair Day and all the success he'd had, I still think that there were some holdouts that weren't taking him seriously. But after we had hung up from this conversation, I got a call from, I still remember the writer's name, Josh Turangle, and he was writing... (laughs) The back page of Time, the People page, which of course, if if you know, we all got time at, at least back then, that would always be the first page that I would turn to. Who cares about what's happening in around the world? I just want to see the celebrity news. <laughs> so he was doing this little bit for the People page, and because we didn't have the video, but we we still had um we still had images, we still had photographs of Al as Eminem from the Lose Yourself video. Right. <laughs> so they wanted to run that image on the people page of time and the writer needed some quotes from al because they were going to do like a little paragraph about it and the protocol when you're a publicist and you work with your artists we even if you have a great relationship with them like i have with al you don't just call them up and say hey time magazine wants to talk to you there's there's a really procedure that you follow where you'll send you know, back in those days, maybe it was a fax or an email, you'd send the request or make a phone call, you'd call management and you'd say, we have this request, management would approve it, then they'd coordinate, you know, time with Al and then get back to me. And so it kind of went through this, right. you know, this gauntlet of appro- approvals. And, that morning, I knew Al was leaving. He was didn't have a cell phone. The writer had called me. He's like, okay, we really need to do this. We're on deadline. I need it in the next five minutes or it's not going oh in. And wow. I picked up the phone and I dialed Al right away. It was probably the only time in my career where I really went around kind of the accepted way of, of doing things. I called him. We got him on the phone. They they he wrote the little piece and it came out in Time magazine. I actually looked this up so I could tell you guys the date. It was May 19th, 2003. And I tried to look up the blurb, but they had it behind a paywall.
2: <laughs> so <laughs> um,
3: so there, there's something you can you can grab. And management was not happy. Management was not happy that I had gone out side of the normal procedure but I have to say in the end it all worked out okay because it came out and everybody was really happy I was I was including me because it's a huge hit for a publicist to get something even a little blurb and a, right. and a photograph in Time magazine right. um, so that was probably one of the highlights of my my personal my professional career <laughs> and that week, Al and I were traveling. I know we we were in Chicago and we were doing some press in Indiana. And I think I was sitting next to him in the airport and he kept looking at it. It was, it was just,
2: it was <laughs> it was the
3: coolest. It was the coolest moment because I I just felt so good that my artist was really happy and that's so nice to be able to look at something in a national big, glossy, well respected publication at a time when those were still, still very hard one gets at, right. as we call it. And that was a really, that was a really nice experience for me. And I'm, I'm sure for Al too, it was, it was a, it was a very cool time.
0: No pun intended.
3: <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, it was, it was, it was, it was really, it was really great. And I remember, the other fun stuff that kind of happened in Chicago, I, I traveled with Al quite a bit to New York, we would do morning TV, and, and other, you know, CNN and all the big national kind of TV outlets. And we were we in Chicago, we were there, we had an evening off. So we wanted we we just wanted to hang out. Like, I don't I don't think either of us wanted to just you know, hang out by ourselves and Chicago is not a place where you automatically have lots of friends. So Mm. Al and I, and I didn't usually like, we didn't, we, we didn't just hang out for the hell of hanging out. Um, you know, I really enjoyed being with, with Al. He's super fun, you know, great to, to chat with, but we didn't, we didn't like, it wasn't a social thing, but that, that evening was, was really fun. And I I can't remember, we went, we were in some place in Chicago. And he got mobbed, literally mobbed,
2: (laughs) and it was terrifying
3: because that was that was really an unusual situation for me. People in LA and New York they leave you alone. They, you know, I I one of the artists uh, clients I had was, you know, Dominic Chianese who played Uncle Junior on The Sopranos, and I worked with him at the height of The Sopranos. New Yorkers would leave him alone. Like we'd walk out on the streets and they'd. (laughs) They'd be like, "Hey, Uncle June," and he'd go, "Oh, another nephew." (laughs) But with and with Al too, people just left you alone. But in Chicago, I think maybe it being more kind of middle America, they and he's a celebrity. They literally had all these, you know, um, kids and guys, just and it was (laughs) almost all guys, and they just mobbed us. (laughs) And Al just handles it with such a and such you know, such ease. Hey, how are you? I mean, I'm sitting there, I'm like standing behind Al. I'm, te- I'm literally terrified of all these <laughs> people. But, um, but yeah, he, he was, he was always great to, to spend time with. Um, You know, it's, it, it, it's interesting because I was thinking I'm kind of going off subject here, but you know, you guys are called uh, your 2000 inch, uh, podcast, and one of my one of my favorite Al originals is Frank's 2,000 inch TV, because that was sort of a an homage to REM, which is a band that I worked with very early in my career. So that song always had a lot oh. of a lot of meaning for me. Um, and uh, and so I think you guys have a very cool name for your <laughs> podcast.
0: Yeah, I, I I don't know. Are you familiar with that song, Dave? I think we have to look that up. <laughs> Yeah, I'm gonna have to research that one. <laughs> we're prepared for that. I, I don't know. A, it must be a rarity or something that we're not familiar with. <laughs> so Cheryl, you teased us earlier that you wanted to tell us something about your daughter.
2: Oh yes,
3: thank you for remembering. So, so Al, my I first introduced my daughter to Al. She, I think she was about seven or eight years old, and he was uh, performing at the at the Orange County Fair. We went to see him I took her backstage and we have this I have this great picture of her you know of course Al's very tall and she she was eight so she's you know got these big you know big brown eyes looking up at him (laughs) and he's looking down at her just (laughs) smiling and she had met him several times you know since then but now my daughter is a senior at the University of Oregon in Eugene and she is a photographer and she is a photographer and the photo editor for her for the daily emerald up there at at, in eugene and when al went through on his vanity tour she was one of the photographers in the pit taking uh pictures of him for the publication so yeah it was it was really nice and then she went backstage and of course john knew her and al al knew she was coming and And so they they took good care of her, and and that was that was really nice. So that was kind of a nice moment for mom, you know, to see her, you know, having worked with Al when she was so young, and then now she's now she's working with Al right. in that oh, professional so cool.
2: capacity. Yeah, yeah. sweet. No.
1: You started with Al in 1993. You finished up your career around 2003 2004. How did things change from when you first started working with Al towards? when you finally did stop working with Al what was the biggest change
3: well his hair is longer (laughs) um you know I I think that Al has continued to surprise us in many ways he's continued to evolve and grow as an artist I I think we kind of touched on this when we were talking about um uh, about word crimes and some of the the other parodies that he's done that, that kind of are more detailed and more complex and you know i i think you have to a lot of times you have to look at a video or listen to a song a few times to kind of really get every all the the, the references that he incorporates into his songs i think that it at least through the last the last album cycle mandatory fun was five years ago i can't even believe it. it's it's been that long since that record came out but I remember just marveling at the marketing effort behind that record, the, the rollout of the the different videos every day. And I just, I can't confirm this because I haven't heard it from Al, but I know that was, that's him. He, Al is just such a marketing creative genius that, I, I'm I'm positive that he's the one who kind of came up with with this, and and if I'm speaking out of turn and I'm taking someone else's <laughs> hard-earned credit away, I really apologize. But that's really the kind of person that that Al is. I mean, he's, you know, he really envisions a lot of the the scope of how he sees things and. You know, and, and I was really impressed as, as a former PR person watching this, the rollout of this new album. I was so impressed with the way that happened. I mean, they, they, they interviewed him in GQ. I mean, that never would have happened um, <laughs> in 2003 or before 2003. It just, you know, Al was still kind of in that transition period from being, you know, nerdy with glasses Al That always did food parodies to a more mature, well, well well-rounded, deeper, you know, really skilled and talented parody artist. And and he always was that, but I think he's just taken it to a whole other level with the last record. And then, of course, the the Vanity tour and the Strings Attached tour. You know, I, I just I have to give him credit for continuing to stay fresh and relevant
0: yeah and talented and it just i can only imagine that the the people who turned you and al down many years ago are just so embarrassed now i, I have to imagine that
3: <laughs> well you know i'd like to think they are but i doubt it you know they in that world it, you're always on to the the next thing and you're covering the next thing but you know, there were times when I would, you know, run in, uh, you know, not run into a writer, but have communication with a writer and they would like confide to me. I'm secretly a Weird Al fan. Like what? You can't you can't say that out. You know, you can't you can't do that. But, you know, yeah, I mean, there there would be times like that where I mean, he's everyone's guilty pleasure. Right. And and now I think that's the biggest difference is that a lot of times he was the guilty pleasure now you don't have to be guilty about liking weird al it's, if if you like Weird <laughs> Al, you're just really you're really just on top of things cool. and and he is and he 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 really stays yeah you're very cool and and he really stays relevant i mean it's a great job to just be able to He used to say to sit around in your underwear, watching TV and reading magazines all day. (laughs) We should all have good jobs like that. Right. Um, But he's very, Al's very meticulous and he's very um, particular. I know, you know, he, he works on his songs there. I don't think they're just flashes that come out. I think he, puts a lot of effort and work into them. And and I I think it really shows. And that's why they stand the test of time. And that's why we, as fans, uh, appreciate appreciate him and his, his art. And he most definitely is an artist.
0: Absolutely. Well, Cheryl, back to you and your career. I just wanted to follow up on, you didn't end your career after Al. You still are in communications and PR and marketing.
3: Yes. I, you know, when I... I had left the record label uh, pr- uh, like ninety eight, maybe, ninety nine, somewhere right around there. And I started my own PR company with a partner, and Al was became one of our clients uh, because I had had such a long tenure with him, and we we got along great, and we were a good, we were a good team. So I brought Al in to my my new PR company. And then there was just, you know, I actually, I will just say this. One of the biggest regrets that I have in my career is that, we didn't get to work with each other through the next three albums that, that he did. And there were a lot of, a lot of issues. None of them had to do with Al. I still keep in touch with Al. I get his Christmas card every year. I <laughs> usually communicate with him by email a, a couple times a year, a few times a year, always on his birthday, I never forget his birthday. And I'll tell you something. Al always responds so, I don't ever want to hear people say, "Oh, I can't respond, I don't have time." You think Al has time? <laughs> Al has such a busy schedule, and yet he will always, it it he will always respond if I send him a little note or whatever. He's always very gracious, and I really appreciate that. So, after after I stopped working with Al, um my little my my company at the time we did, we worked a lot of music projects, books, TV film, uh, you know, new media events. And then eventually, my life kind of transitioned. and um, we moved out of the LA area. I live in Ventura County now, so it was a little bit harder to, you know be out and about in the Hollywood scene. And so I really started working more with corporate clients and brand clients. and and so now I have my my own, consultancy and i will work with a lot of different types of clients i love helping businesses you know develop their positioning their messaging their overall communications their creative marketing rather than sales and marketing and of course their pr and, and media outreach and i've worked in a number of different industries but my heart will always have a very special place for the time the many years that I spent in music and many of those years with Al. He's, he's great. And I was a fan before I started working with him. I will be a fan until (laughs) he doesn't make records anymore.
0: (laughs) And then some, I hope. (laughs) And then some.
3: I, I really cherish the time that I spent with Al. He was always a gentleman, always easy to work with always accommodating and i i really appreciated that
0: that's wonderful cheryl thank you so much for joining us this has been such an amazing journey getting to hear about all these amazing behind the scenes things that really i don't think we've ever gotten a glimpse into as fans
1: thank you cheryl for sharing your time that you spent with al with us
3: well that was delightful i Thoroughly enjoyed this conversation and so glad to see that his devoted fans are out there keeping the Weird Al flame alive.
0: Thank you again to Cheryl Northrup. That was so much fun getting to talk with her, hearing all those inside stories. Dave, there were so many things that I had never heard before that we got to learn for the first time.
1: You know, it was news to me, that publicity event for Jurassic Park at the museum. I had never heard that before.
0: What an amazing story. And on her first day essentially <laughs> right right she's fresh
1: <laughs> freshly working for al been working for al for less than a year she said but that was like her first major big event and just to have all that going on at oh. that time oh my god Wow, well, i'm glad it turned out for the best though i'm glad it really worked out for her me too so we want to thank cheryl of course and we want to thank all of our listeners and especially those listeners who subscribe if you like this podcast Please subscribe. It really means a lot to us. We're on iTunes. We're on Google Play. We're on iHeartRadio. We're on Stitcher. We're on Spotify. We're on Atari 2600 Cartridge. We're everywhere you can stream podcasts.
0: The only way to make sure you can get the latest episode the second it drops is if you subscribe. Or if you're like Mike Minnick waiting for those YouTube videos and you just keep clicking refresh, I don't recommend that. Just subscribe. It's a lot easier. We always post a brand new full episode every Wednesday.
1: Head on over to our Patreon at patreon.com 2000inch where you can find out how to sponsor our podcast and you can see everything we have posted there so far. Those are secret episodes. Those are promos. You also get all of our bonus episodes which we post on our Patreon
0: first. So check out everything there and support us while you're at it. And speaking of sponsors, anyone can sponsor the podcast. You don't have to be a restaurant selling vegan food in Troy, New York. Anyone can do it. You can just sponsor any old thing. We'll make it up for you. Or you can tell us and we'll let you sponsor it. Our friend Allison
1: Parsons, she recently became a sponsor of the podcast podcast over at patreon.com 2000inch. She is sponsoring this week the release of a very special edition episode of The Weird Al Show episode, Bad Influence. It is going to be remastered by both you and I, Ethan. That's right. But the only edit we're going to make, and by we, we mean our intern, Frank, the only edit that we are going to make is that everywhere Patton Oswalt appears in the episode, he will be digitally replaced by Baby Yoda baby pat and oswald as baby yoda is not something you hashtag gotta pass on
0: and also with the new year we are launching a fun new incentive for our most loyal listeners when we first started the podcast we had offered the opportunity to sit in with us for a segment And as you know, our friend Allison took us up on this offer. Man, she supports the heck out of us, Dave. She joined us for the top five off the deep end songs episode. Such a blast.
1: Oh, that was so much fun. And that episode was so popular and we got so much positive feedback about it that we decided to offer that incentive again. So for a limited time, if you want to be in a segment with us on the podcast, you can sign up and it's only $100 to do so. Email our intern, Frank, at 2000inch.com for more details.
0: We also want to remind everyone that time is running out for you to get your tickets to our super exciting screening of UHF along with our live interview with Jonah Ray. It's coming up in just a few short weeks on Saturday, January 25th. It is going to be totally insane. I cannot wait. You can head over to uhf.2000inch.com for tickets, or if you're local, you can head over to Proctor's and buy them in person or on the Proctor's website, proctors.org. It is going to be so much fun
1: is going to be a blast to see the 30th anniversary screening of UHF with you and with Jonah Right? Oh, it's going to be so much fun. And also, what is going to be so much fun is that, Ethan, you will be performing comedy with Jonah on Thursday, January 23rd. You guys will be in North Adams, Massachusetts. And on Friday, January 24th, you guys will be in Glens Falls, New York. And then this is so great, so convenient to everybody who comes to our UHF screening. You and Jonah Ray, immediately after our screening, will be performing comedy again. And that is Saturday, January 25th. Same venue. You don't even have to leave. It's Proctor's in Schenectady, New York. It is
0: going to be a blast. And you don't even have to leave the building for dinner because... Burrito Burrito is going to be there selling their vegan Mexican food during our screening, after the screening, and before the comedy show. So you don't even have to leave. You can just stay and eat some Burrito Burrito. And it's just a Dave and Ethan's 2000-Inch Weird Al podcast kind of day in Schenectady. It's going to be so much fun.
1: So, Ethan, last week we teased that our friend, the very talented Jeff McClellan, put together a poster for this screening and we got to see the first draft. Well, Jeff has finished. He put the final touches on it. We just posted that poster over at patreon.com 2000inch. You can go over there and see it right now. Oh my God, it is so awesome. We love the poster. We will be offering that poster for sale as well. So if you're interested, please let us know so we can make sure to hold one for you.
0: Yes, and we are only printing a very limited supply, and they are professionally screen-printed, so these things are going to be, to quote you, Dave, beautiful. Oh, they are beautiful. (laughs) I cannot wait. These I'm totally going to be getting Jonah to sign mine, and I'm going to be hanging it up. It has to. It is such an amazing poster. And we're also getting some surprises made. And anyone who does pre-order a poster with us is going to get some special surprises thrown in.
1: Also, make sure you give us a follow at 2000Inch. We're on Twitter. We're on Instagram. We're on Facebook. And, of course, you can see us at patreon.com slash 2000Inch. Check out our Facebook group and visit us on our website, 2000inch.com. You can get the latest episode there. You can get information about all of our guests. You can listen to every single back episode, including all of our bonus episodes there. And remember, use the hashtag 2000inch, hashtag gill and Chill, and hashtag Gotta Pass when you post.
0: <laughs> and you can also head to our website and listen to this episode over again if you wanted to but also don't forget you can always call us at 347 spatula leave a message anytime of day or night it's 347-772-8852 we love hearing from our listeners might even play it on the air
1: let us know if you submitted your name for that photo shoot and let us know when you get selected we want to hear about it 347 spatula
0: and we also want to thank jim Kimo west He, of course, did our amazing, incredible, best podcast theme song ever. And you can always check him out 24 hours a day at jimkeemowest.com. Pick up his CDs, subscribe to his awesome newsletter. Go check him out, jimkeemowest.com.
1: I don't think you sold that well enough. That is the best theme song for a podcast (laughs) ever by Jim West. is for our podcast. We love that song. We love Jim for doing it. Thank you so much, Jim. Oh my God, that's my favorite song ever.
0: Dave, we should listen to the instrumental version right now. Okay.
1: That was Dave and Ethan's 2000 Inch Weird Al Podcast, episode 36 Inch.
3: He later apologized and said he was sorry for the whole brouhaha, but of course we didn't care.